The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name's Mike Rankin, James Fox alongside us. Today we are recapping our top 30 White Sox prospect list here at Future Sox. A collective effort really from our entire staff, James. Uh, I mean, it was a different type of process that we had this year because, I mean, we're so used to a lot of the names that littered across the top 30 for multiple, you know, preseason, mid-seasons across what two years then you include the 2020 season where we didn't get to evaluate really any of the prospects at all and now we see it in 2021 players have graduated there's there's a lot of new names and we should mention that across the system the 30 prospects there's optimism across the board i think there's a lot of upside to several players but in reality as a result of all the graduations and a couple of you know pieces traded away from the top 30 system Multiple publications, pretty much all prospect-focused publications, have the White Sox ranked the 30th uh, system in baseball, which, look, I mean, it's it, it's understood at this point, right? I mean, this is what it is. I think so, yeah. And look, I mean, there's, there's not a top 100 prospect here. Um, that doesn't mean that there won't be. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just... I, I will say, and we talked about this a little bit, you know, before we started, the the top ten is actually not as terrible as you would think it is, like for a system ranked thirty, right? Like the the Sox have had systems over the years that have clearly been ranked the last in baseball, like years before the rebuild, and they didn't even have like, you know, like names like this on their list. So I mean, look, people just saw Burger and Sheets contributing to a team that could win a world series. So, I mean, those are, those are guys. They're just, you know, they're like 25 and then there's the young guys there. And then we'll get into the, you know, the issues with some of the young pitchers, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's the 30th ranked system. It's, you know, I think I heard Jim Callis say it's the 30th ranked system, like for the right reasons, like nobody would rather have the number one farm system in baseball, like then instead of like one of the best teams in baseball. And that's what the Sox have. And they've graduated a bunch of guys. So yeah, I mean, it's going to take some work, but there's, there's more international periods coming and there's more drafts coming. Um, so they just have to continue to do a good job adding and, you know, kind of fall in the middle of the pack somewhere, like over the next year and a half, I would say. Yeah, there's a lot to uncover here and unwrap. I think you you hit on a lot of important topics, and we're going to hit on all of it. Um, And before we go any further, just want to give a huge thanks to our team, as I mentioned, and I want to name them if I can get them all off the top of my head without missing any uh, shout out to me. But uh, of course, James, you're alongside the head of the pack Dan Santoramita did a ton of work contributing and compiling this list, organizing it and publishing it. Huge thanks there. Uh, Jasper Roos, Sean Williams, Sleepy Harold, Steve Hasman, Jason Lowenthal, Michael Guarlia, Ken Solichek. I mean, they're awesome. It's a total team effort. Jeff Cohen, our guy in Charlotte, everybody that wanted to contribute that's been a huge part of our team helped us put together a list that James, I think, quite frankly, is pretty spot on. I mean, there's a lot of 
guys in the bottom 10 that were pretty difficult to justify ranking on the list just because of the variables involved and the unknowns. But I think, I, I think this was right. I think we did it right. Um, and that's, that's something to celebrate at future Sox Cause you know, like we said, we, we were lucky to have multiple seasons of a built system and it was pretty consistent. Like these are the 30 best prospects, give or take five. Now you have a fresh set where you could argue 15 can be interchangeable, but let, let's start there, I guess. You know, we'll get into the top five here soon, but I think the story of the top 30 list is Romy Gonzalez. Romy Gonzalez ranked 16 on Future Sox Top 30. Now, we did rank, uh, put together this list prior to his promotion to Charlotte, and he has just been so good this season. There was a spell following an injury early in his uh season with Birmingham after a scorching start across the first 10 games of the year or so. Um, and then he missed some time and then he just picked up right where he left off. And it looks like this is a future major league player as early as next season. So it's one of those situations now, James, where, yeah, we ranked him at 16 and we can get into that as to why, but also let's be real about this player. The White Sox have something in Romy Gonzalez a 20 home run, 20 stolen base guy in Birmingham who can play multiple positions, including center field and the infield. So that's like a Swiss Army knife the White Sox have in their back pocket that's under their control. Yeah, I mean, he really burst out of the scene. Like, Romy was a guy that I always kind of, like, liked after, you know, he was taken in the 18th round out of Miami in 2018, and he's one of the guys that Nick Hostetler, like, had focused on after we talked to him. Um, and then, you know, I think he hit like 10 homers right away in rookie ball and he hit like eight more um, in a ball. And who knows, like this might have happened anyway. Um, but then when there was no baseball in 2020, Romy turned himself into like a freak kind of like from what I've heard from, you know, scouts and even like some other players that have played with him. It's like an Adam Engel body, basically, like he just got shredded and. You know, he can play shortstop and center field. And he went 20-20 in A, and he hit 11 of the homers at Regents Field, which, I mean, look, we're used to A, especially for the White Sox, being the place where, like, some of these hitting prospects go to die. And he, like, went there and thrived, and now he's in Charlotte, and, you know, that's kind of the reward, I, f I feel like, for him. Like, he's going to do, you know, he's going to continue to do what he's doing already because that's a that's just a great place to hit. So... But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he, he'd never been ranked before. And some of it was just because of that weird 2020 season, right? But he also wasn't playing shortstop regularly. They played him some in center, you know, and he's played third and he's played on the corners. But if he can really play short and center, like, yeah, he's, he's absolutely a prospect. And we might even have him too low. But I think it was just a matter of circumstance. And, you know, he already jumped from unranked to 16, which is pretty good. Yeah, we'll go across maybe the top 15 a little bit. We won't go into detail with all of them, but uh, you go to futuresocks.com and check out our top 30 list, and you can see our top 15 and, of course, our entire 30. But sticking with Romy, the 22-year-old in 2019, I want to touch on that point you made about the 2020 season, missing out on that year. And you talk about bursting on the scene. He was 22 in Kannapolis and hit 22 doubles that year. But nothing essentially was extremely eye-popping. I mean, he struck out 108 times and uh, 352 at-bats. So, you know, there, there was a lot of swing and miss in his game as a young player in his second professional season in the White Sox system. And then he looked to take a jump in 2020. However, obviously couldn't do that. And then in 2021, it was like, okay, this is my season. And in Birmingham, Across 78 games, he slashed 267 with an 856 OPS. But like we said, 20 home runs, 20 steals, 21 steals to be exact. I have the numbers in front of me with 11 doubles. But like you said, the value in playing multiple positions, but also showcasing the pop and the speed, it suggests that he's for real. And this isn't just a one-off type deal. And I just wonder how the 2020 season has affected players outside of just Romy Gonzalez, right? And how it's impacted a player like Gavin Sheets as well and maybe even the high school arms in Andrew Dahlquist and Matthew Thompson specifically they missed a full season where they could have played 
you know, they pitched professionally across a full season in Kannapolis. You know, they, they pitched in 2019 in their first seasons in Arizona, but that was it. And this is in 2021, their first year talking about the young high school arms specifically getting acclimated to professional baseball. And when you look at the numbers, it's, you know, a little bit, uh, it's a lot to be desired, I would say. When it relates to Gavin Sheets, that was like, James, you were on it. The story of it was, okay, 2019, he led the Southern League in RBIs. The power was starting to come around, but there was a question mark of his future based on his position. And if you're not going to hit for power as a first baseman, this narrative is so tired because of how far he's come now. You see it across two seasons. The jump that he made not playing at all in 2020 and getting an opportunity, grinding his way through Charlotte in 2021, making his major league debut with the White Sox this year, and ultimately having an influence on potentially a World Series team. When you say it, James, in that sense, when you talk about the players who were impacted by the lack of season in 2020, I mean, those are the players that jump to mind. I just, I wonder how much that's affected them and how they are in terms of where they are in their career right now. Yeah, I mean, I think we know for sure that it helped Gavin because he he told us, right? Like when I talked to him, you know, he wasn't thrilled. He wasn't he wasn't at the alternate site with other guys that he thought that he was better than, quite frankly, and he was basically first base only at that time in an organization crowded with first basemen. You know, he added some utility to where he could at least be functional in left field and right field, which is nice, but you know, the biggest thing is he, you know, he finally realized he's got to hit for power. And Gavin Sheets is one of these guys that's always had, you know, supreme raw power. And guys that have seen him, like, you know, our former editor, I remember Matt Cassidy seeing him in BP and telling me, he was always telling me, like, no, Gavin Sheets is, is a dude, like, he's for real. You know, because he'd watch batting practice. And, like, Sheets just, like, never did it in games because he was kind of of the the Nick Madrigal mindset, right? Where it's like he hated striking out and, you know, it, it's commendable. But that that's just, you know, you have to mash if you're going to play first. So adding the outfield utility helped. Um, but they also, you know, unlocked some swing changes, got his body, you know, in a little bit better shape. And we all saw it in the big leagues. Now, you know, is he an everyday guy in the big leagues. I, I don't know. I think he can hit righties though. I think he's kind of shown that. So, I mean, even if he's, you know, the strong side of a platoon that can play multiple positions, I mean, I think he's, you know, got a pretty significant career in front of him. And I think at this time last year, like we, we might not have thought so. And the White Sox didn't even think enough to invite him to the alternate site. So we talked on Romy Gonzalez, who was unranked in our preseason 2021 rankings. And now he's 16 we just mentioned Gavin Sheets as uh, he's now ranked number six in the White Sox system. And you know, we justified that because of the leaps that he's made and how clearly he solidified his case as a big league player. I mean, this is a player who could be a regular for a lot of teams in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, and, and two spots ahead of him. How about this one, James? Jake Berger, number four. He jumped 12 spots. It goes from... We need to include Jake Berger out of respect of the first-round pick, the bat potential, and considering that at following two Achilles injuries, we were unsure whether or not he was going to return. Gave it the benefit of the doubt that you know he was still working to play baseball. So I said, you know, when we when we did what was this in 2019, there was no reason to leave him off a top 30 list. So for him to squeak on a top 30 list on a future sex perspective to then get ranked number 17 of the preseason this year to number four mid season after we saw him at the big league level, making his major league debut. I mean, it's a wonderful story, but we ranked him number four because the bat is real and he played pretty, pretty well at third base, all things considered. Yeah. I think he's got three homers in the last two days too. like recording this. I mean, he, you know, he was hitting 320, 368, 596 at Charlotte, and he had never played, what, above Canny, I think. So, like, I think it was a shock to a lot of people. Like, we heard, we had a lot of questions and had talked about it. Like, whoa, they sent Jake Berger to Charlotte. Like, that's crazy. But, I mean, look, he's on the 40-man roster. They felt highly of him. He would have been there anyway or in the big leagues had he never been hurt. So, you know, they just sent him there. I mean, when I saw him, at the alternate site last year, I was, I was stunned. I mean, he looked, you know, better than he did even when he was drafted. So, I mean, this is like Jake Berger is a big leaguer. 
I don't know how it's going to shake out with the White Sox, you know, because I, look, he's not probably going to play second ever, like every day, maybe sometimes. And, you know, first and third is, is kind of occupied and, you know, the outfield's probably a bit of a stretch. So, you know, but it's a, it's a great story. He, he's turned himself into, you know, pretty much what I think they drafted at 11th overall. And, you know, his, his big bullet point on, his draft profile when he was coming out was, was character. And I think it's pretty evident with, you know, a lot, a lot of guys would have quit and, you know, the story is well-documented and he's talked about it. Um, so, you know, kudos to Jake Berger. I mean, he's going to have a 20 home run season in Charlotte. I don't know if he'll be back in Chicago this year, you know, but he definitely contributed to a team that has big aspirations. Now, as far as ranking him where we did, I just kind of think, you know, I think we generally rank on upside, but I think proximity to the majors matters. And for me, like there, there might be some guys behind him with more upside. I just don't know how we saw him in the big leagues this year, how we rank some of these other guys ahead of him at this point. Yeah. And I think that's totally fair considering the success that he's had all season long. And the fact that this is a first round draft pick who's proven he's healthy and he's, you know, capitalizing on the value in terms of why the White Sox drafted him. It was the bat and it's real and we're seeing it. So, you know, those are, we're kind of all over the place. We talked about Jake Berger, who's four, Gavin Sheets, who's six, Romy Gonzalez, who's 16, but let's continue. Didn't mention Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dahlquist. Thompson and Dahlquist not paired together on this list. Thompson, number seven, Dahlquist, nine, and sandwiched between the two is Jared Kelly at eight. So let's go through the top ten real quick. Colson Montgomery, number one. This was something, James, that you and I talked to Jim Callis about on this podcast, and he asked us the question. He said, what do you guys think? Is it Colson Montgomery? Because really the only other question is, would it be Yoki Cespedes? And we were like, yeah, you know, we're thinking it's probably Montgomery, and that's where we landed. So it's Montgomery, one. Yolki Cespit is number two, Westcath three, Berger four, Norhe Vera number five. Now, this is a player I'm really excited to touch on. He is ranked the number one pitching prospect in the White Sox system for us, and we'll get to some of the reasons as to why here in a second. Gavin Sheets six, Thompson seven, Jared Kelly eight. Jared Kelly, a little bit of news on him. He had a shoulder impingement in his last outing. He was removed from a start, was that four days ago at this point, something around like that, earlier last week. And the velocity went straight down, so the White Sox are going to reevaluate him. Hopefully surgery isn't imminent, and uh, he can come back and pitch in instructional league at some point this year. But I don't foresee him pitching again uh, professionally in a high-leverage capacity in Kannapolis or anything like that um, for the rest of the season. I mean, their season's almost over, and about a month left for them. Anyway, Andrew Dahlquist, 9, and we'll get more into Kelly as well. Lots to get to on the podcast, as you can tell. And rounding out the top 10, is Jose Rodriguez. Rodriguez, a lot of upside. He's proven to, you know, despite the swing and miss, show a lot of athleticism and pop. And we justified him over Brian Ramos, another guy uh, who is similar in terms of profile, um, but Brian Ramos, number 11. So James, there's a lot to take in there. Let's let's get into some of the highlights of the top 10, beginning with Colson Montgomery and, and really what I was talking about, what I said about Jim Callis and his rationale too. I mean, this is what, where the White Sox system is. It's hard to justify a number one at this point, but I think Colson Montgomery is the, the right choice at uh, this stage of the system. Yeah, he's their number one pick. Um, you know, lots of scouts think he's going to stay at shortstop. So I think, you know, I've seen, you know, some questions just on like, okay, well, what's the difference between Colson Montgomery and West Cath? Well, West Cath plays third and they think Colson Montgomery can play short. So that's the difference, right? He plays a more premium position. Um, you know, I do think the power upside is similar for both guys, but even like our firsthand looks and like, I haven't seen Colson Montgomery play live obviously, but Sean has. And so Sean Williams who helped us is our guy out in Arizona. He's, he's been impressed with Colson like defensively and thinks that his actions look good enough to stay there. So, I mean, that's, that's good enough for me. I mean, Sean, Sean's been, pretty good covering these young guys for us to where he's, you know, he's seen them enough now. Um, I, you know, I think he's turned it on with the bat a little bit lately. Um, but look, the first, the first pro season after being drafted is, is pretty tough. So, you know, I think as long as him and Kath hold their own in Arizona, they go to low a next year after instructs, 
um, that should be the year where, you know, we really see some movement with these guys. Um, you mentioned Cespedes. I mean, I think he's the only one that even has like a claim to being number one if it's not Montgomery. Um, you know, they sent him to Winston. He was off to a little bit of a s- slow start, but he's, you know, he's kind of been as advertised. I think he's a quick moving, you know, older outfielder. I think he'll be in big league spring training next year and he'll probably be at Charlotte. And, you know, I don't know what their plans are for him, but they, you know, they, they like him. So he could, you know, if he, if you told me he was playing in the big leagues and contributing to next year's good White Sox team like that, that wouldn't really surprise me because he's, he's at Birmingham already now. So that, uh, you know, I think the top, I think the top three, I don't think we spent very much time on the top three. I think, I think we kind of knew those names. We just kind of needed to kind of pull the room and see where everybody wanted to put all the names. And, you know, this is kind of how they landed this go around. Yeah. And the upside with Montgomery is, you know, obviously a prep shortstop in the first round, a little bit older in 19 when they drafted him, but you're looking at upside here and it looks like he can stick in the position at shortstop and, a bat that has plenty of pop to, you know, implement both contact and power that can spray to all fields. So that's something that went into the decision, but also just the the scouting reports from so many publications suggesting that Montgomery can stick at shortstop is part of the really part of the reason why we were so influenced is to say, yes, okay, this is it. You know, this is the number one prospect in the system. So there's a lot of upside connected to Montgomery. And you talk about Cespedes too. Let's let's be realistic. Like, you know, he is going to be what he is. And I think when it's all said and done, you look at the numbers on the table. Like that that is who he is. You know, he's got some power, a little bit above average speed, right? And he can play a corner outfield spot. Um, I think he's got to prove that he can play center field. So, but like you said, he's very advanced. He's close to the big leagues. Um, but West Cath, man, like we were looking at some video of West Cath swing. You had a comp for him, and I know, like, we don't want to throw people for a loop here, but it's just in terms of the swing path. And the something that I was very encouraged by when I saw West Cath actually on the field against competition live is his size. His size plays, man. I mean, his. It looks like he stands upright in the left-handed batter's box. I mean, you just look at a swing in video, and you can tell, man, he's got size, and the swing is beautiful. Um, but what is the, if I could ask you, the comp that you had for West Cath in terms of just the swing path? Well, so Mike Shirley said it first, like, on the conference call. It's kind of like a throwaway comment. And, like, I, you know, I, I was like, oh, like, that's interesting. And, like, you know, when you, like, comparing guys to, some of the best players in baseball is like something that Nick Hostetler always kind of laughed about, you know, like I think he, it might've even been on one of our shows where he said that they would take out like the Nerf guns and they'd shoot each other with them. If you comped a, a <laughs> player to a, to a hall of famer or whatever, but, but he looks like Freddie Freeman, man. Like his swing looks like Freddie Freeman's swing. It looks just like it. So like, I get it. Like, and if that means he turns into a power hitting first baseman, like great. I mean, you, you took him in the second round, but no, I mean, it's like sheets is, it's kind of similar, right? It's like the way that the that he that he attacks the ball, and it's something that they uh, that they've really been looking for. James Fegan of the Athletic wrote something on Cath this week that was that was really good that I would recommend everybody read. You know, there's stuff from his high school coach in there, and you know, Cath is. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny and uh, anecdote from there is he's he's living in his uh, his bedroom at his parents' house and driving to AZL games because he's from Scottsdale. So I thought that was pretty funny. Let's get to Norhe Vera here. Um, yeah, this podcast can go on for three hours if we just, you know, continue on the path that we are right now. And I'd love to, James, if you want to stay up with me. But uh, Norhe Vera, the top pitching prospect in the White Sox system, according to Future Sox, 21 years old, pitching in the DSL. And you can explain better than I can about why he's not stateside yet. But as a 21-year-old, obviously he's going to dominate young international competition out there in the Dominican. But when you see on paper, or at least a, a report suggesting that Norhe Vera sitting upper nineties, and we're talking 97, 99 in outings as a 21 year old, like we knew like Ben Badler was all about it. And we knew that Vera had a ton of upside, 
but this is an advanced 21-year-old international right-handed pitcher that we haven't seen stateside yet who's pumping and dominating with his stuff. I mean, he's got two pitches that are, at least at this stage of his career, elite, which is like really, really exciting. Like, it's got me optimistic. I mean, it's an easy call for us to put him as the best pitching prospect in the system at this point. We'll talk about Jared Kelly in a second. But James, man, like this Norhe Vera kid is somebody that we really need to pay attention to moving forward. Yeah, and if they can get him like stateside somehow for instruct, like I wouldn't be surprised if he's number one overall on our list when we do it in the preseason. I mean, just because, you know, it's like the kind of pitching prospect that they don't have, right? I think we generally lumped him in with the other prep arms because he's similar. He got a million and a half dollars. But this is different, right? Because he's more advanced. He's pitched in Cuba since he was like a teenager. He's got bloodlines. His father was one of the best pitchers ever in Cuba. And yeah, he's sitting 97 to 99 with like a nasty slider. So we obviously haven't seen him. He is in the Dominican. <clears throat> um, we, you know, looking at DSL stats, he's he's playing on dirt fields. Like nobody should care, like you said, like what his stats are in the DSL. But the scouting reports really matter. And him hitting 97 consistently and touching 99 is definitely promising. I don't know that it was necessarily expected. I mean, there were rumors when he signed for one and a half million dollars that he was throwing low nineties in workouts and teams kind of shied away from him. So, you know, it was recently reported also by James Fegan that he had, he had some short sort of like minor shoulder injury too. And that kept him from pitching right away. Um, but you know, he's healthy now and he's pitching in the DSL. And like you said, he's in the DSL, just weird tax implications. You know, I might have to ask Brian Billick about tax law in this case, but yeah. you know, the, the gist of it is like these, these guys don't get their full bonus, you know, unless they have like us residency. So like they could bring him stateside, but it would take like a big chunk out of the $1.5 million that he's supposed to make. Um, so they just left him there so he can get like his entire bonus. Now Cespedes was a little bit different because Cespedes was living in Florida at the time. So he was able to play here. Um, but it's very, it's very weird. And look with a 16 year old, it doesn't matter because you would, you would leave them in the DSL anyway. Like you're not considering bringing them right over. So it's not that, um, not that big of a deal, but you know, I, I don't, I don't really think it's going to hurt him that much. I think, you know, we've talked about like if he's, if he's in Winston to start next year, like that, that's not a surprise at all. I don't think. It seems like he's just advanced and, you know, whether he's pitching here or in Arizona or in Kannapolis or in Winston at this point um, or in the DSL, whatever, you know, it, it looks like this stuff is going to translate and this is his first, I mean, I wouldn't say first because the White Sox have, have worked with him for, it seems like multiple seasons or multiple years now, but officially this year he is, he is facing live competition, but under the watchful eye of the White Sox, the stuff is legit. He's 21 years old and we can probably expect him at an advanced level affiliate for a player making his professional debut stateside uh, in 2022. At least that's the expectations for Vera. So something to keep in mind. I think it's very well said about, uh, as to why he's still out in the Dominican. I remember all the questions that we had when James, you were reporting about Yoelki Cespedes signing with the White Sox, um, as well as Norhe Vera, but Vera wasn't really anywhere to be found. So, you know, it's, it's never easy. Everything's complicated in baseball. Moving on, let's talk some more pitching. Jared Kelly, number eight. Let's talk about this a little bit, James. The second round pick of 2020, White Sox spent a hefty price to sign him over slot that year. Um, and well, it's just been underwhelming to put it frankly. Um, when we saw him, I think it was unexpected the build to act the way it did or play the way it did this year. I mean, he was in the write up here from Michael Guarlia, our guy in Canapolis this year, says six foot three, 230 pounds. This is a 19 year old, and he had an 8.6 walk per nine in Canapolis. Uh, he did strike out a ton, right? I mean, that's the strong suit. And the stuff can play against, you know, low-A bats, um, with, at least with the repertoire that Jared Kelly has. But, I mean, realistically, with the expectations that we had for Kelly, I think this season was sort of a step back for us in saying, okay, there's a lot of work to do 
and we gotta we gotta tamper our expectations a little bit for Jared Kelly. And most recently, I did mention it quickly. He had a shoulder impingement in his last outing, and he was removed. The White Sox are going to evaluate, and hopefully he can pitch again, according to James Fegan and instructs at some point late this year. But I mean, it's just been a very tough season. And Kelly also did, you know, he dealt with an injury earlier as well. Uh, he spent time in the injured list, missed a couple of starts um, this year in Kannapolis. So, you know, it's just not the year that Jared Kelly or us really at Future Sox as evaluators had expected from somebody who we really had lofty expectations for. Yeah, it was a really rough first season. The good thing is, you know, with high school pitchers and high school players in general is that there's still like a lot of time because he's still really young. But yeah, I mean, the the stuff, I, I guess I wouldn't really say that the stuff has necessarily like deteriorated, but he just like needs to pitch. I mean, there were so many times where he would hit like the White Sox 30 pitch limit and he'd be out or, you know, and then he'd have an issue and he'd be gone for two weeks. So like he just like didn't have the innings. There's obvious conditioning issues, you know, which look, you would think like they have nutritionists and stuff like that doesn't seem like something that would like completely derail him. Now, I mean, he averaged 8.6 walks per nine innings, which, you know, he in high school, he was not a guy that that walked that many guys. Um, So like, hopefully, like, you know, the shoulder has been an issue and they can get it fixed. And like that, that's part of the reason why he's he's walking guys like as many guys as he is. I mean, he does have the K rate over 10, which is, which is encouraging. So, you know, there, there's still upside here, but this was, you know, this was the guy that was kind of seen as their number one prospect after their big four graduated the list. And now he's at eight and I could understand having him lower than eight at this point. I mean, he's just, you know, he's, he's got to go out and prove it. He was given a $3 million bonus. He was, you know, considered like a top 20 to 25 player in that draft class. So, you know, there's time, but there's, there's definitely like room for improvement here and he's going to, he's going to have to prove it and hopefully he can get back out and pitch during instructs. It's tough. It was, it, it was tough to begin the season for Kelly and you wanted to see positive outings from him and you just didn't see really any. Um, from him. But I agree with you, like you said, it, that is the beauty of taking the prep players, whether it's an arm or a bat, you, you have these years to develop players and even signing young international players like um, our, our, our guy uh, Tatis. So, you know, that's that's the positive side about this. But yeah, we got to be realistic about where Jared Kelly is going to be from here on out. So interesting note there. Uh, on, another note on injury fronts, Jonathan Stever had season-ending lat surgery so he's done um this is something a little bit more concerning um he hit the forearm in 20 but we saw him pitch in the big leagues but it wasn't enough to give him surgery and this is unrelated you know he didn't have to get anything related to the elbow but now it's a lat and we have stever at 12 he was most recently six on our list but you know there wasn't a lot of production from him in 2021 in charlotte a little underwhelming as well, but uh, the injury, James, to Stever's lad is, is really the story here. Yeah, it's brutal. I mean, the White Sox are, are saying that he'll be back for spring training 2022. I mean, I that might be a little bit wishful thinking, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, he he was very much, like, rushed, and I think 2020 is another guy. Like, the, it's a guy that was affected by that, maybe negatively and positively. I mean, he really, like, had a rapid rise through the system you know, and he pitched very well at Winston-Salem um, and then, you know, skipped Birmingham altogether and pitched in the big leagues in 2020. And then this year they sent him to Charlotte. You know, he's had some bad luck at Charlotte. It's really, really tough to pitch there in that ballpark. Um, his stuff was pretty much back this year. I mean, he was sitting 96 instead of, you know, when we saw him in the big leagues, he was like 92, 93, which isn't going to work. So... Yeah, I mean, look, this might end up being like a seventh inning reliever or a back end starter. Um, he's he's decent, but yeah, he's on the forty man, and now he's gonna have to stay on the forty man like while injured. So you know, I don't really know what the plan is for Jonathan Stever, but he was AAA starter depth, and I would imagine he'll be that again, like as long as he's healthy. So. You know, it's just, you know, it's another 
fifth round pick of the White Sox that they've developed into a, you know, into a guy that's like on yeah. the doorstep of the big leagues. But yeah, like you never like to see the injuries. Um, and you know, it is, it's kind of a violent, like vertical delivery. So I guess you could see where like a shoulder injury, um, would happen, but it does sound like it could be, it could be worse. So, you know, hopefully we're, we're talking about Jonathan Stever pitching in, you know, in March and, in Glendale and everything's fine after a, you know, a lat tear. Right. And this isn't a player that you want to just dismiss and say, okay, you know, moving on to somebody else. Like Steve pitched in the big leagues. He's got big league stuff. And just reading Jeff Cohen's evaluation, our guy in Charlotte, who's seen him all season long, you know, he credits the, yeah, we know this, you know, I think we, we've seen it already um, because it was big league level stuff, but he did mention, the fastball was 96. He was working on mechanical tweaks this year, and his breaking pitches, according to Jeff, were improving. So, you know, this is somebody that if he can overcome the injury, and we see him pitching across hopefully the first two, three months of Charlotte in 2022, the White Sox can take advantage of his stuff at some point next year, as long as he's healthy. So keep that in mind on Jonathan Stever. We, we do not want to dismiss this player. Yeah, and I do, you know, I do think it's yeah. a little bit different of a like he's injured, and we've seen like in the in recent weeks, you know, the White Sox had to, you know, they outrighted uh, Tyler Johnson off their forty man roster because he was hurt as well. He had season ending knee surgery, and they needed the roster spot. Um, you know, you're not allowed to put minor league players on the sixty day disabled list, so then you'd have to carry them and you know, into the off season too, which is just, you know, it's just not possible when you're trying to win. And then we saw Luis Gonzalez, the same thing. He had season ending shoulder surgery and they tried to outright him and, you know, San Francisco claimed him. So Luis Gonzalez, a guy that would have been on this list, you know, I think there's some big league utility there. Um, but, you know, he's in the Giants organization. Now, I don't think the White Sox will do similar with Stever where all of a sudden Stever's released and they're like trying to sign him back. Cause I think he definitely gets claimed. So, you know, I think they just kind of grin and bear it this time. Like he just, he has to stay on the 40 and you're just going to have to carry like an injured guy. that can't help you for a little bit. Yeah. That's an important note to keep in mind as well. Sean Burke now number 13, as we kind of rapidly go through the remainder of this list, some, some uh, highlighted names, at least I want to bring to your attention, James. Sean Burke is uh, assigned to Kannapolis. How about that one? That's exciting, right? That's something we could look forward to. A third-round draft pick in 2021. Got a lot of size, some upside. He's ranked number 13 in our system. He must be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think he, you know, he could be in the top 10 fairly fairly soon if he pitches well. The only thing with college pitchers, I guess I just didn't know how many innings he had left, right? So I wasn't sure if he'd go to Kannapolis or not. But the fact that he's at Kannapolis now kind of let you know that they could start him in Winston next year and, you know, kind of get on with it. Like college pitchers move a little bit quick. He was no match for the guys in Arizona. I mean, I, you know, I talked to a couple of people that, that saw him in Arizona and it was just like, yeah, he doesn't belong here. So, yeah. you know, so he's going to, he's going to get his opportunity to pitch in Kannapolis. I wouldn't be surprised though, if it is typical, like, you know, two inning outing or, outings you know a few times like if he's maxed out at like 10 more innings or something like that like I wouldn't be surprised these college guys they usually go pretty easy with them in their draft year yeah for sure in same season like you said drafted transition to professional ball it's a lot of games especially for a pitcher a lot of tax on your arm so um but it's exciting I mean this is somebody like if you if you're thinking James you're throwing out Winston-Salem in 2022 for Sean Burke I'm all, all about it because uh, Winston-Salem needs an upgrade, at least this team, um, <laughs> at this point of 2021. Some upside plays here, James, and I don't want to skip past Mike Adolfo. Let's let's revisit Adolfo because we, we talk about him a lot. But Yolbert Sanchez is 17th, an older prospect who did make his way to Birmingham after doing quite well, I would say, in Winston-Salem. This is a future utility big leaguer. Uh, infielder that, you know, I, I don't know what the timeline might be, but at least right now suggests that he could be a role player. I mean, like, let's be real. I don't know if he's going to be a starting second baseman who gets 600 plate appearances a year, but this is a Yolbert Sanchez, you know, who, who could be maybe a utility guy, similar to Romy Gonzalez. But I think Romy, 
you know, just based on where we ranked him one spot ahead of him, I think Romy's got a little bit more upside, but Yolbert seems to be the package where the defense is there and guy who makes a lot of contact, you know, that's, that's somebody you'd like to have on your big league roster. Yeah. So this could be another one where like Marco Patty's right about a guy, right. And he doesn't have to be a star, like $2 million. If you get a utility guy for $2 million or two and a half million dollars like that, that's fine. I mean, this is, he was billed as a premium defender um, with an advanced approach at the plate, but he'd always struggled offensively. Um, So, you know, I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but it seems like, you know, he's hit for power. So if he's going to be able to play plus defense at second and short and, you know, hit for power and get to it enough in games, like, yeah, he's a major leaguer because his defense is so good. Um, You know, he's been considered a plus runner on the bases too. So, yeah, I mean, this is a guy where you really don't need to even wait. I mean, he's, he's 24 years old, I believe he's, in Birmingham, I mean, look, they could start him at Charlotte next year, but my guess is he's in he's in big league spring training as one of the non-roster invites with a chance to make next year's team. I mean, look, the White Sox are going to have a, a big payroll in 2022. You know, you have the Craig Kimbrell option. I mean, I think they're already like around 160, like with arbitration raises. So, I mean, if you could have a bench with Gilbert Sanchez and Romy Gonzalez on it that are contributing to you making nothing. I think that's, you know, a benefit for the Sox. And he's, you know, it's a, it's a pleasant surprise because the, the reports out of instructs for Gilbert weren't as promising as I would say that we were, Mm -hmm. we were hoping when we heard, you know, just kind of what he looked like in the fall. I think uh, we should also be realistic about what Yolbert Sanchez can contribute. If we're talking future big leaguer next year, I think it's like extremely optimistic to believe. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually aboard this train. I think Romy Gonzalez is absolutely a big leaguer next year. And I think he could play a significant role. And however you define significant for the White Sox, I guess in his case, it could be a various, you know, ways you want to look at it. But I think Romy Gonzalez, Legit has an opportunity to play a role for the White Sox next year. Gilbert Sanchez could be somebody because, like, look, you want to have a big league player on your roster if you're content with where you're at in terms of okay, you're dealing with the financial, uh, trying to stay under the luxury tax, and, and you want to have financial flexibility. Gilbert Sanchez is somebody to consider to to be somebody that you call up in a pinch. But realistically, like a roster spot should be filled with somebody with more value than Gilbert Sanchez at this point of Gilbert's career. But to his credit. You talk about across the first two months, May and June, in May, 222 slash line. But in June, stepped it up in Winston. Just looking at his June, 348, 394, 467 slash line for him in Winston-Salem. Then he gets promoted to Birmingham in July, late July, and he's holding his own. So this is a player who's making that jump to the next level, who is older. We were talking about Yobert Sanchez, who's a 97 born. So... You know, like we, we talked about, it's not out of the question that we could see these players, but let's like let's be realistic about their roles um, on a big league, especially a World Series caliber team. But I think your point is very well taken, James, about the White Sox plans this offseason in terms of managing their finances. I think there's there's room to improve this roster, but if they believe internally that they have what they need um, to fill a role on the 26th man, especially in the infield, <laughs> you got two to choose from right away, especially in Romy Gonzalez. Like, he's the highlighted player here. All right, let's uh, let's wrap things up. I, I took uh, enough of your time today. Uh, Tanner McDougal, shout out to Tanner McDougal, drafted this year, prep arm, 18th in our system. Cade McClure, number 19. This is a player who is close, we believe, to big league caliber. I think there's a few things that you know he would even admit that he'd like to clean up. Um, the consistency isn't necessarily there; gets hit hard a few, you know, uh, here and there in his outings. But the the stuff plays well enough that we believe, like this stages of his career, he could make a uh, major league debut some point in the near future. Uh, Lennon Sosa was previously unranked, and this is a player a couple of lists ago when he was in Winston Salem as a 19, 20 year old. Uh, we had him on, on the list, and now he's back in 21. He's playing in Birmingham, so that's exciting uh, to keep in mind. The shortstop in Lenin Sosa. Maceal Gonzalez makes his top 30 debut, as well as Christian Mena. Oh, Christian Mena, James. We talked to Ben Badler as well at Baseball America. He was the one when the White Sox brought on Mena. Badler specifically called Christian Mena out and said, 
he was optimistic about this player, as well as a shout-out to Caleb Freeman, who's number 24. You've been on the Caleb Freeman train a little bit on the on the podcast, making it known that this is big league caliber relief potential, uh, the 24th-ranked prospect in Freeman. But how about how about any of those names, James, and anybody that I'd, I'd left out that you want to touch on? But, um, you know, the floor is yours. But I was, I was excited to see Christian Mena make a leap in the list here. Yeah, so, tw- I mean, 21 through 30 is, you know, two – potential like late inning relievers and a bunch of young dudes that you know maybe some people haven't heard of I mean going back to the you know going to 30 I mean we put Wilfred Varus on the list for the first time he's he's a third baseman that's playing in Arizona right now he's got big power he's another Tatis uh, family member he's the, the cousin of Fernando and Elijah Tatis and his dad was Wilton Varus who played in the big leagues for a long time so you know we'll see how that goes he's in Arizona um, so I don't know how quickly they would move him to Canapolis. Wilbur Sanchez is a guy shortstop out of Venezuela who the White Sox like, um, you know, we talked to Josh Norris of baseball America and he said Sanchez is one of the guys that the team mentioned that, you know, as a guy that they really like, he's in Canapolis now, Luis Mieses has been on and off lists for years. He was actually in the Luis Robert like signing class and he's just like your your lanky left-handed corner guy with big power, but he's always just had so many strikeout issues. Um, and he really, you know, he got demoted back to Kannapolis and really found himself. And now he's back in Winston, but he's, you know, he's still hitting and it seems like maybe putting itself, putting himself um, together a little bit there. So, you know, those guys, in addition to who you mentioned, I mean, Maceo Gonzalez is interesting. He was a 12th rounder out of Puerto Rico a few years back. Um, he was the best player in Arizona for sure on their team. So, you know, he's getting a run at Kannapolis right now, but he's still super young too. He's 20. And then Christian Mena is 18, um, starting pitcher upside, really good stuff, lots of strikeouts, but he's given up a lot of runs in Arizona. But look, he didn't even, I mean, Mena didn't even pitch in the DSL. I mean, he this is like his professional debut and it's stateside in Arizona as an 18-year-old. So, that's just another case of, you know, don't sc- stat scout with him. Obviously, look, the, those games aren't on TV, and we're not seeing him live either. But, you know, if you hear anything about, like, his stuff and what he looks like in side sessions and, you know, how many strikeouts per nine and stuff like that is much more important than if his ERA is over eight in Arizona this year. So that's just, you know, super far away pitching prospect that's interesting. Yeah, anytime Ben Badler mentions any international prospect, we are going to keep an eye out on uh, on that. So, James, before we wrap this up, I know we uh, there's a couple things that we wanted to touch on related to the upcoming international signing period, and one of them relates to Oscar Colas and how that might impact our next top 30 list. And there's also a rumor that the White Sox are interested in a young international player as well, uh, outfielder Eric Hernandez. Do you know anything about Eric Hernandez? Um, and then what's your thoughts on Oscar Colas upcoming? Yeah, so I did not know anything about Eric Hernandez, but I did know that, um, you know, that MLB Pipeline was going to update their, you know, their top 30 international list at some point soon, and they have done so. So that's, you know, that's interesting. I'm a nerd about some of this stuff. So, but Oscar Colas is going to sign with the White Sox. We, we've talked about him a lot. It's $2.7 million. You know, he's really gotten his body into shape for anybody that's like stalked his Instagram and like kind of watched him. So, you know, it's still a corner guy, but it looks like a possibly prolific one. So, you know, he's currently training in the Dominican Republic. He's expected to play winter ball um, for Estrellas Orientales. And that's interesting because the manager of that team is Fernando Tatis senior. So, you know, I've been told that the, you know, the white Sox will be closely monitoring that. And that's the team that they want him playing winter ball with. So, you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to have to cover winter ball this year. So, All right. you know, cause Oscar <laughs> Colas is there and that's who everybody's going to want to talk about. I would think if we could rank Colas right now, he's, you know, one of those top three or four guys, you know, he might be one. We'll see. You know, so that's uh, that's interesting. But, you know, one of the things that I do talk about often is how the White Sox don't spend enough money on teenagers like they, You know, they've done a decent job internationally and, you know, they've gone big game hunting a little bit, you know, as some of our guests have said. 
Um, but this time they're they're expected to sign the number 28 prospect in the class, outfielder Eric Hernandez. He's a 16 year old uh, lefty hitter, lefty thrower, six foot 175, um, and you know, not to get anybody too excited, but Jesse Sanchez of MLB Pipeline, the first line in his scouting report says, Hernandez's biggest comp is a lofty one, Juan Soto. Hernandez, right. Hernandez like Soto, is a solid hitter as a teen and can hit the ball hard to all fields. So, I mean, look, I, I don't think yeah. it's going to be Juan Soto. But, you know, get very, very skinny, but very advanced approach at the plate. He's shown the ability to adjust. Um you know, so yeah, I didn't know much about him until I saw this and I had a bunch of DMs tonight of people asking me. So just a lean and athletic left-handed hitting outfielder, 16 years old. Um, he can supposedly play all three outfield positions and I'm told the bonus is around a million bucks. So, you know, that's a million dollar signing in, in, uh, the international markets pretty significant. So, you know, that ties up a lot of their money. I mean, that's like 3.7 million total for two players, which gives them, you know, probably like another million and a half to play with. And I would imagine those will be, you know, your standard 400K, 500K type guys that we've talked about over the years. But look, some of those guys are on the top 30 list now. So, you know, we'll be it's January 15th again. It's moved. Um, so Oscar Colas and a horde of other young guys become White Sox on January 15th, 2022. Good stuff, James. Uh, Eric Hernandez, I'm in. I'm buying the jersey tonight. Uh, also, I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that Oscar Colas might be a future number one prospect on the future Sox top 30 White Sox prospect list. That's encouraging to hear as well. Uh, man, I, again, this is this is fun. You know, there, there's a lot to really take into account when we compile these lists. And maybe, you know, again, like I think the highlight of this entire list outside of the top five, and maybe even extended to the top 10. There's a lot upside in the top 10. But Romy Gonzalez, number 16, you know, th- that that's a player who could be even higher. He could, you could argue that he's a top 10 prospect in the system, but we have him where we have him at number 16, and this is where we're at. So, James, credit to you, credit to our staff. Uh, this was fun. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, it was good. It was, a, you know, it was a good process. You know, I think having all the – our contributors out at affiliates has helped us immensely. Obviously, you know, you, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody knows this, but Mike works hard at 670 The Score as a producer. And, you know, I, I teach as my full-time job and coach high school football. So, you know, we are not at the affiliates in North Carolina, like <laughs> watching these games. So, you know, having the, the staff that we have is important especially when you start ranking guys in the top 30 that are as young as they are you just you need in-person looks and those have been super important for us so you know as you said earlier i will just echo you know our how good of a job our staff did and these guys you know they've they've worked extremely hard and i'm looking forward to you know closing out the rest of the minor league season yeah we're very privileged to have the dedicated staff members that we do so that's all the love that i have to give tonight let us know. What do you think about the top 30? Go to futuresocks.com. Check us out. Uh, we have everything there. The coverage is everywhere. Search uh, Future Sox Top 30. It's the midseason list just posted a couple days ago. Uh, give us your thoughts. You can email us, futuresocks, uh, what is that, futuresocks at gmail.com. Tweet us at futuresocks. Uh, leave a comment. You know, we, we want to hear from you. Also, like, subscribe, do your thing. Promote us on the podcast. It will really help us out. Really appreciate you listening, of course, as well. Thanks so much for being dedicated readers as well as dedicated listeners. For James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. Man, uh, it's been fun. We're going to talk to you all next time. we got some things in the books. We're really looking forward to sharing more plans with you. But until next time, stick to Future Sox for all of your White Sox minor league needs.